0: You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell, is Siobhan Walsh. Siobhan from Belly Bunyan, but originally from Listowel, was diagnosed with breast cancer in October of 2016. And so began the journey. I'm delighted to have Siobhan on today because I think it's important to to have these conversations and I know that it's it's not it's not an easy conversation to have about her cancer diagnosis. So I really appreciate her coming on and and opening up because I think it's important for for other people going through cancer and breast cancer especially like Siobhan. It's great for them to hear to hear about Siobhan's journey from her eyes and I think it'll help a lot of people out there that, that are going through the journey or just every, every other person that's, that's out there listening because it's only when you talk to people like Siobhan you appreciate life so much more and you, you realise how, how important these little things are. So sit back and enjoy the show. No, thanks for, winning, no for coming in.
1: Oh, sure. It's my absolute pleasure. Really Fabulous. appreciate it. And it's great to meet you as well. I, you that's too. Been, that's been on my my list to do.
0: It has. Um, the, the first time I seen, I remember seeing you when you done the chemo body oh, initiative. initiative. Yeah, yeah, that was very good. And then Breeze gave me the, do you know, the spark book? Yes. And you were on that as well. Yeah. And when I, when I read the, the kind of story properly on that, yes, I said, I'll have to I on meet, to ask this her. To meet
1: yeah, to see what the journey is like. Because no more than yourself, I always, everybody, I'm always mindful of like there could be somebody at home or like, you now. there could be somebody in your situation and they look and they say, how is Ian so upbeat? Like, how can he get out of bed every morning and do what he does? Um, and I always say everyone's suffering is relative. Exactly. You, you don't. You can never take away a person's suffering, but the only thing you can do is small steps.
0: That's okay. it. And you know that goes for everything in life. You know. Yeah. Small steps. Um, I suppose do you want to take me back to 2016. Sure. When you got diagnosed, I remember reading in was the Farmers Journal yes. done a, a nice article on you and you were. You brought, didn't you bring one of your children or something that's for, right
1: to the doctor yeah was so kind I'll, of I'll a wake up then. call yeah it was um, Dara had a chest infection and I went to Dr. Tuchin Tralee and um, he like he obviously gave the antibiotic and whatever else and I said oh are you finished we'd be family friends and I said are you finished for the evening now John and he said no uh, my last appointment this evening I have to close the doors is a lady with very late stage cancer
0: she had to break the new star."
1: And he had to break the news to her. And I went home that night, had my shower as I normally do, and looked at the lump under my arm. I went, oh, so I rang him in the morning. I said, John, I have something to tell you. I have a lump under my arm and he was so cool and calm. That's OK, Siobhan. He said, but you do need to come in now, please. So when he came in then and I knew by his expression, you know, he was trying to be as you know stoic as possible. And he said, no, no, we, we need this to go to Cork. We need to go to Cork to have a look at this. And so I kind of all took off literally within a couple of days. I got the appointment um, and, you know, the way you have an instinct yourself. Yeah, you probably would know. You probably know yourself. I think, you know, your own body
0: as well as anyone,
1: as well as anybody, yeah. as any doctor. And I knew straight away by the way they were feeling it and biopsying it. And I remember thinking my own. I drove myself because I'm hugely independent. And I remember thinking on the day, oh gosh, Pfft. you know, what's What's happening here? It's going to come. What's going to come down the road here? And by Friday, there was a phone call. Could you bring your next of kin up? And that was kind of the whole. So you, of you kind of,
0: Joanna, that microphone is, Joanna, push a tiny bit in closer. Okay. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Um. And when you went for the, the biopsy and you got that phone call to come up with a relative, what was going through your head then? Because I can, I can only imagine like,
1: well, I guess for as a mother, the first and foremost children, I'm sure your own mom and dad would say the same as a parent. You would take anything apart from your own child. You, know, you don't want to, for them to have to be upset or suffer. So that was my first and foremost. Oh, my God, you know, all alarm bells went off. It was the end of the world. I took probably about, a, I'd say, a good hour and a half. I remember they were at school.
0: Did you think the worst straight away?
1: No, I'm never fatalistic. I'm a bit of a Walter machine in that respect. Um, I always have to see the positive in everything. But I also had to kind of say, OK, Svonne, don't be a fool either. This is really serious. Yeah. You, know, you have to come to terms with this. So I did my crying and everything else. And then I had my my cup of tea. Um, cup of tea, I think for us Irish, it solves an awful lot. Solves a lot. Solves a lot. And got up then and uh, collected the kids from school and, you know, uh, I said I wouldn't tell them until I actually had to. Yeah. So then their following week was more scans and everything else and to determine where else could the cancer be, etc. and what was the plan of action and so on from there.
0: And how old were the the kids at that point?
1: They were in 2016, they were uh, four. Four. Yeah.
0: And like, I suppose when, for any mother with children, but especially when you have them that young, yeah. do you know, you're kind of saying, when will I tell them, how will I tell them and stuff?
1: I think you nearly had to tell them when when we came to the bald head stage. Yeah. You know, if they went to school one morning and of course, I'm a fierce, funny devil altogether, Ian. You know, (laughs) I had this thing in my head that I was going to be the only person that ever did chemotherapy that the hair wouldn't fall out of their head. Yeah. So I left it. (laughs) I left it until I went into the shower one morning and a whole lot. Really. So then the panic was when they get back from school, um, would I have a wig? Would I leave a bald head? Would I wear a hat? What was going to be the, the solution? Yeah. So I went off to Limerick anyway and got a wig. And um, when they came in from school, they thought I was having the crack because I'd be fun. You know, I'd be. We'd always be having fun. Yeah. And um, of course they pulled the wig, and the wig came off and there was no hair. So they got an awful shock. So then I had to explain to them. I said, look, Mom has to have medicine. Yeah. Um. Because I'm, you know, I have a little lump and I've got to get rid of it and mum has to have medicine. Never mentioned the cancer word because I was afraid that they'd go to school. Yeah. And someone would say, oh, my nana died from cancer or, you know, my granddad or my auntie or somebody. And, uh, you know, there'd be no turning back from explaining that. So I said, do you like the week? No. So I said, right, we'll, we'll leave the bald head. So. Yeah. So they were quite... After I'd say twenty four hours they didn't even take notice of it anymore. Really? Like children are hugely they are. resilient. They are. And Fabulous like you though. like you
0: said, you didn't want to say the word cancer because at that age, you know, yeah. I think cancer it has touched every family in in, in Oh the every, world.
1: Every neighborhood, every friend, somebody along the line has had to deal with the diagnosis of cancer. And I think more and more, unfortunately, the numbers are showing that, you know, there are more and more diagnoses every day. Even the the oncology unit in Tralee, they will tell you that, you know, that the numbers are are huge.
0: And that was in October when you got diagnosed.
1: That was December. The first one was December 2016.
0: 2016.
1: And would you believe the next reoccurrence was back again in December 2019.
0: During just before COVID.
1: Yeah. So, um
0: and the first time you got diagnosed, that was leading up to Christmas. Yes. And was that like Christmas? I know it's all oh, written off,
1: Yeah, written off. Absolutely. And like
0: when you were trying to have a a good time as much as you could with family and friends, that must have been in the back of your head through the whole Christmas.
1: Oh, absolutely. But, you know, you kind of have to carry on. But I, I think an awful lot of it was almost on on auto control. It was like I remember sitting eating the Christmas dinner in my pajamas. Really? Um, and that would never be me. it would always be mass, um, you know, the whole regalia, lovely, you know, dressed beautifully and sit down at the dinner. And I remember sitting there in my pajamas going, I actually can't. I just have to get through this yeah. day. And then I knew that the first of, Jan- they actually wanted to start treatment before January and I wouldn't have it. I needed the Christmas period with the children yeah. and family life. And then on the 1st of January, I said, OK, I was ready then. that was the day? That was my D-day, you know, for, for treatment. But, um, you know, it's, it's an extraordinary journey, Yeah. Um, as you can imagine. I mean, anybody with any type of a serious illness, it, it makes you, it's almost like a reset of who yeah. you are. Really, you press the reset button and you kind of have to look at all the layers get taken away anyway. That's for a start.
0: Absolutely.
1: There's no hiding. And there is a great kind of humility because I'd be very much um, the lone ranger in terms of getting things done and keeping busy things and keeping busy. And all of a sudden you've to ask someone for help or you're a bit more vulnerable and that you've got to deal with that. As well as everything else. Yeah. Know?
0: And like you said, you, you're always keeping, like you're the kind of person that is always keeping busy and stuff. What would you say was the, the biggest? Because I always say, and I've said it on this show so many times, when I had my accident mm-hmm. and when people ask me that I lose friends and I, I say I didn't lose any friends, I just found out who the real ones were. And I think sometimes it's sad that you have to go through something to realise who's there for you, how important was it having people, family and friends and like community that was there for you during it all? How important was it to talk to them?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, because I'm very community orientated myself, I like to be of service to others. That's just me as who I am. Um, I think it was just paid back so beautifully by all my community friends, like I'm I'm very involved with St. Vincent de Paul here in Tralee and would be very Vincenzian in my outlook. And they were just superb. They just stepped up and said, how are you for childcare? How are you getting to Cork? How is everything doing, you know, and it's great now at this stage to be able to give back to them Yeah. and any help they need, you know, with the donation centre or anything like that to be involved or the different conferences. And then I suppose even in terms of my own family, the way they dealt with the diagnosis too and you can you probably had this yourself they just didn't know what to do with it yeah you know what you say the person that was always on the go 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 lastminute.com is my my nickname in our <laughs> family and all of a sudden then you see her very vulnerable with no hair how do you deal with it so some friends actually stepped into the family role and yeah. became as close as family. And then, you know, in Balibonian, we have a great community of women. Fabulous, absolutely fabulous community of women.
0: Like the women in Cilna
1: Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> they'd be calling with cups of tea and, you know, it was lovely because I'd lie in the sofa after treatment, you know, you'd have a couple of days that were really rough and I have a big window, a glass window in the front of the house. So you'd see a thumbs up. The glass window, you wouldn't even have to get up, but I'd raise up the hand <laughs> for the thumbs up to say, like, I'm grand, you know, everything is absolutely fine. But I I suppose the the other important thing to say is that um, sometimes when you hear, oh, you need to have a positive mental health attitude, um. That to me is almost like forcing it on somebody. Yeah. What I would say is a good, a good mental health attitude as opposed to a positive or a negative one, because no one knows when you're in that situation, how you're going to react. There may be somebody at home today going through treatment that says, oh, that's fine for Siobhan. She's nice and fluffy and yeah. Ina's is all happy there. And, you know, but I'm absolutely in agony here. And what I would like to say is that even in the darkest days, if you can find one thing to hang on to, whether it's a nice walk, a cup of tea with a friend, you know, or something to look forward to. The smallest things. The smallest things. But that's what you actually have to hang on to,
0: you know, Um,
1: and they are the things that will make the difference and will get you through and also being able to talk. There are days you won't be able to talk and you won't feel like it, but knowing that there's somebody at the other end of the phone that you can just pick up to and be yourself and say, you know, it's it's awful. I hate it. It's awful and that they listen to you and give you that time without, you know, forcing you to be positive or saying, Come on, come on you know, just accepting it how it is.
0: How it is and going with the the kind of flow can't be forced really. When you um and I know when you when you were first diagnosed, when you had to go for chemo and treatment chemo and treatment, I remember reading in the spark book you went to the double doors to go into the room mm-hmm. and there was a room full of people that was getting treatment as well. Um, when you were, because you're you're in that room for so long, each each day that you're above, did you meet new people there? And like, did it make it easier knowing that there was someone beside you that was going through the same thing? Did you did you build any friendships there, or did you get talking to people?
1: Oh, absolutely, and that's that's a great big part of having the the positive attitude because. Um, I get treatment every three weeks still in the oncology unit here in Three It's uh, the type of cancer I had was a HER2 cancer. And so it responds very, very well to treatment. So thankfully, I've been no evidence of disease now for a couple of years, which is brilliant.
0: Touch wood.
1: Touch wood. Yeah. And thank God. But I'm in there every three weeks. So you build friendships over the three weeks. And that gave me the idea for the Buddy Box because They become your bodies. You're you're sitting beside them for the three weeks, and you have the highs and the lows somebody getting news, somebody going, woohoo, they're at the end of the treatment. Or for my most part, normally when I'd get the meds, I'd be sound asleep. So somebody'd be trying to talk to me, and I'd be snoring snoring away peacefully, you know. But that gave me the idea for the body box just to let people know that there's somebody in the community that's thinking of them because sometimes you'd be sitting in the chair, you know, you scan the room inevitably having a look around and you might see one or two who wouldn't have anyone with them. Or you'd overhear that they'd be asking the nurses a few more questions. You know, how will what will happen if I get sick during the night? Who will I call? And then you think, ha, that person doesn't have anyone. So I came up with the idea with the body box, which is Beautiful box full of products that you need during chemotherapy because your lips might get dry or your skin might break or lots of different things. Like and self
0: care stuff is it like f-
1: self care stuff, yeah. But to put a little note into it that somebody in the community is thinking of you. So when you firstly get diagnosed and you go into the oncology unit in Tralee, they'll give you your buddy box with all your little products in it. And I went to Norma Dorn in Listole the told, chemist, isn't That's it? right. Yeah, told her my idea and she absolutely loved it and came on board hugely with it so that every patient gets a, a body box. It's sponsored by a member of the community. You can go in and buy the box in Doran's. And then Ryles Pharmacy in Tralee also came on board. And that was fabulous because a lot of my working life has, has been in Tralee. Really? And we're building more and more pharmacies all over the county of Kerry to come on board so that somebody from every community in the county of Kerry, if you have to go into the oncology unit, you know that somebody from Farnfor or Killarney or Dingle will be thinking of you and will sponsor that box going in. So
0: it's a brilliant, fantastic idea. So
1: it's, it's a lovely idea. And, you know, it's just, you know, Riles had little kind of affirmations in their boxes and they had just beautiful little sayings and it was really emotional for me to be sitting in the chair and seeing the boxes being given out and see the looks of joy on the people's faces. And, you know, I remember pulling up for treatment the last day in my car. Um, and it's part of life now for me. So I just, you know, hop out of the car and, and go in every third Friday. And there was a woman standing at the door of the oncology unit with the box under her arm. Really? And she said to me, Oh, they're giving out boxes today. I got this. Look, it's fabulous. There's a note inside it. She said to me, I hope you'll get one. Really? And I just said to her, mm-hmm, I hope I get one. But sure, you know, I came up with the idea. Yeah. So actually, the nurses.
0: That must have been brilliant. It was see beautiful,
1: her. yeah. And the nurses really the first when the initiative started, I was sitting in the chair watching the boxes came out, come out and they gave me one of the boxes as well. You really? Know, so that was really kind of emotional for me. So it's it's just good to know that when you're on that journey that you're not alone. There's yeah. somebody thinking of you
0: and I remember that uh, the initiative it kind of I remember seeing the Irish Independent done an article on it mm-hmm. and I'm almost certain it was the Irish Independent but what was it like to know that there was people out there that you were the person that kind of found this project and stuff and that day that you seen someone with it under her arm like that must have filled you with so much um, kind of pride and happiness
1: oh happiness I think Ian because as you know yourself we're of service we like to give back yeah. we're here you and I the, the commonality we have we're survivors
0: it's in us you know as Irish us, people
1: and as Irish people as, as in our culture we're very generous we're a, a very hospitable race of people we, we love to serve others we love to be kind even during Covid even, you see on the yeah late, late. Covid is, is a prime example and um, and I just think I'm a bit sort of I don't really like the limelight too much, so I'm never kind of I won't push forward for community awards or things like that. To me, seeing the smile on that person's face gives me the greatest amount of joy.
0: Meant everything. And
1: hugely being able to get up and continue life as normally as possible because medicine has advanced so much and I'm here, that's an absolute gratitude you know, that nobody could ever take away from me. I'm absolutely thrilled every morning that I am able to get out of bed and go about my my daily business as normal and go to work and, you know, find joy in those things and do things with the twins. And, you know, it, that is my pleasure. That's my gratitude.
0: You know? It's better than winning the lottery.
1: Absolutely better than winning the lotto. And, you know, I found that my perspective um. Changed a lot, and you know I changed jobs um I've started working with Curry Mental Health Association in housing as their their housing manager, and I absolutely adore every single day of that job how's that so going brilliant um Anybody with a mental health diagnosis and a housing need uh, through Kerry County Council, and in conjunction with Kerry Mental Health Association and the um, HSC Kerry Mental Services, um, we have nine houses in Kerry, and it means that somebody has a permanent home. It's brilliant. Which is just gorgeous, and the. the tenancies are hugely supported by all the staff and I'm very much um, hands on. As you can tell, I love meeting people, love chatting. And you you've
0: know, had a smile on your face since you came in yeah. the door.
1: <laughs> and I just love I love people. And I love the fact that no matter what diagnosis you are you have or are um, or what illness you have, that, you know, the roof over your head is important for your recovery. And yeah. I bet you one of the things that was important to you was being able to go home your safe place isn't it? Home is your safe place yeah it's absolutely and the same for me when you know no matter the operations or the chemo or radiation I loved coming home and that kind of stuck with me so then working in mental health obviously having a good mental health attitude and the whole housing was just you know a fabulous area to be able to work in. Um, I probably would like to say that you know, anybody going through any type of treatment out there at the moment or, you know, having any difficulty, don't suffer in silence. Reach out. Absolutely. You know, take a small, small step, you know, and nobody's going to judge you. Um, nobody's going to tell you what to do, but there will be somebody there that will listen.
0: Absolutely. And mental health is such a, a topic now. And I think a lot of people kind of bottle it in, whereas if you reach out and ask for help, that's the hardest it is the
1: hardest and you know i think it's fair to say that um everybody grapples with their mental health at some point in life yeah. you nobody goes through life plain sailing there are up days and there are down days and you'd hope that when you have the down days that you're going to be able to get back up and sometimes you may need a, you may need help you may need medical help to to get back up and that's all perfectly fine you know but the main thing is to to be able to keep going
0: yeah know? absolutely and speaking of Home there, and we were saying it's our safe place. I remember reading that you your kind of your mindset was cancer was in the the house, but it wasn't in you. Did you, you kind of went by that that oh, kind of that's, mindset?
1: That's still very much. Um, I don't know whether you'd call it, a naivety, or whether you'd call it Wonderland, but. I see every person as an individual.
0: Yeah.
1: So I don't, I don't see you as, you know, Connell, um, you know, your accident, or you. I see you perfectly in front of me as, as Ian, the person, as the person. And I would hope that everybody would see me the same way. Absolutely. So when the cancer came into the house, I was very mindful of the fact to say, okay, you came in, um, but you're not staying in me. Yeah. So you're, I'm not going to be defined by the disease. Um, it's not going to take over my life, and I'm going to try and live as normally as I possibly can. Um, anybody listening might think, ah, oh, you know, it mustn't have been that bad, really, you know, she's out and about and she's full of beans. It is actually there are some days that, you know, might have quite a lot of pain or it might not be feeling the best, but you actually have to get on with it because, as I said, it came into the house, but it's not going not to. Not you. It's not going to remain in me. It doesn't define who I am as a person. Um, and, you know, with the way lifestyles are, all the different predictors for cancer, stress and different foods. One of the most important things, I think that when I sat down with it and actually almost met it face to face, you know, um, I used to call it Mr. Sneaky because it was under my arm. <laughs> and I remember having a conversation with Mr. Sneaky saying, well, actually, you came from me no one stuck you on yeah nobody came on with a zapper and put a tumor under your arm you came from me how do we get to that position so then when i had a look back over my lifestyle perhaps areas were stressful or my diet mightn't have been as good as it was so it gave me a good challenge then to reevaluate everything and and the way i was living and sometimes it's purely accidental things yeah. happen you know absolutely but again you know, to look back and say, yeah, no, this is not controlling me. You know, I'm going to be the boss here and, and live life as best as I can.
0: And I think that's that's a, a fantastic way to to be. We'll go back to 2019
1: mm-hmm.
0: when it came back. Yes, that must have been. How what was going through your head then? Did you have did you have as much hope as you did in 2016 when it was there first?
1: That's a that's a really good question, Ian. I think that's kind of the nearly the defining question of this interview. Um, I When it came back in 2019, it came back a half an inch away from the original site. Yeah. Um. again, had a shower one morning, came out and just, you know, as I was drying myself. And again, instinctively, when you feel the lump, you think, no, there's there's something. Um. And I was very, very fortunate that I have a beautiful cousin Uh, Catherine Leen, I hope she won't mind me thanking her for this. But she works in the hospital. I remember ringing her and saying, um, I think I'm in trouble. Will you meet me? And uh, she said, yeah. So we went to I went to Trilly with the twins um, and again, very close to Christmas. And we were in Costa Coffee. The Christmas music was playing and here she was with her hand inside my shirt, feeling this lump in the middle of Costa Coffee, checking it out. And I said, look, with your permission I think I'm going to ring Mr McCormack the surgeon yeah he'd been a former breast surgeon I knew that all the other services would be shut down close to Christmas so rang and made an appointment to see him he was fabulous Uh, had a look at it straight away rang my team in Cork and the whole thing was turned around within within a couple of days Um, it was a it was a horrible fright to get because as far as I was concerned done dusted out the gap chapter was closed yeah um, finished over and out, onwards and upwards. And it kind of, I suppose it's, it really stuck me to the ground because it was a case of ha ha. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I remember um, all the caps I had from being bald. I put them out into the dustbin and I had kept one little cotton hat in a box. And I suppose that was my humility check to say, don't get cocky. Yeah. Leave it there. Yeah. Don't get cocky. And I remember going in and looking at the hat and just absolutely crying my eyes out saying, oh, my God, we're going to have to do this again. And the one thing that was bothering me at the time, I know this is going to sound hilarious. My hair. I must have asked him about 20 times, will I lose my hair? Will I lose my hair? Will I lose my hair? Um, And they kept saying, you will. And I just didn't hear it. But again, you know, I have to tell the funny side of my personality as well.
0: Do you think that's important to have a kind of a, an attitude like you're able to not have a, a laugh about it, but just have that kind of that kind of wittiness like, like oh, we you're saying?
1: humour, Ian. Humour, yeah. Or, and like I'm I'm, like, I'm always great for having a, a jibe at myself. Like I, yeah. I actually enjoy it, you know, having the banter and having the crap myself. But I remember... Um, Again, whatever it is with the hair, this time it wasn't going to fall out. So eventually I was left with a big cock up on top really? like alfalfa until I eventually had to had to get rid of it, you know. <laughs> but um, like that, there was a, that was a great source of, of, you know, fun for the children. Like, because yeah. at that stage, I suppose it's important to say, too, that they became very resilient in a way. I'm very. Challenged about that because second time around with the disease, they were kind of, "Oh, mom, sure you will get through that. You got through that the last time. Yeah. You're going to be perfectly fine." And I was saying, "Hmm, you know that's not a normal reaction for children to have, to have towards illness. You know, and that brings with it a great amount of guilt as well." But we look, we got through it. Um, COVID was particularly hard. All right, because the help—it
0: must have been the help
1: that you would normally have. You were more isolated and more, and again, more alone with your own mental health. So it was a real challenge at the time to keep yourself buoyed up. Um,
0: Did you have to be extra careful while going through treatment during COVID? Because would your immune system be weaker going through treatment? Oh,
1: it would. And, and from that point of view, when I was going through radiation, I chose to drive up and down to Cork for the, the 29 days myself. I that don't was drive st- a single day. straight. I remember straight, reading yeah. that. Um, but like that, I had the ABBA plane in the car and at every checkpoint going down, I'd say the guards were nearly dancing to ABBA. At, th- <laughs> at that stage, they knew my routine um, with my flask of tea and my, my box of sandwiches. That's the right um, job, isn't it? Flask of was, tea? Yeah, flask of tea. And the sandwiches and pull in then for a little bit of a rest, but um it just meant that my immune system wouldn't be compromised, nor would I be putting anybody else in danger from being in and out of the hospital yeah. all the time. But as you know, you you set goals and you you know, you take them and you go through them and you get out the the other end of it. Um the other thing there are weeks, I suppose, when I'm like, I'm due in for treatment now on Friday again. I've been I've had my normal working week this week. It's every three weeks. Every three weeks yeah. And I'm due in on a Friday. Sometimes I forget. I actually yeah. have to put a reminder on my phone. The sun might be shining or I could be planning to go somewhere. And then I'll say, oh, I've got to go in for treatment. Sometimes I'll be a bit cranky about it and saying, oh, why me? You know, yeah. and then I kind of look and say, listen here now, lady. You've been given a fantastic chance at life. It's no more than taking insulin, or you know, having to take some other medication. You know, get on with it. Yeah, and, and do it.
0: Like you said, you're lucky to have the the treatments and oh, stuff. Oh,
1: absolutely! Medicine has come on leaps and bounds, and that's the other thing. If you get a diagnosis, if you get a cancer diagnosis, there is. Every treatment plan available and every cancer is individual to the person. So there's no point saying, oh, Mary had it and this happened or John had it and this. It's your body is individual to you. So your treatment, everything about it is completely tailored for you.
0: And like you said, nobody knows your own body like yourself.
1: Yes, I, I presume you would feel that too In you know your. Absolutely. Your body too.
0: Even like when I was in hospital, you know, there was, there was there was a nurse and she'd be saying, you're not going to get movement back. And and that just went in one ear and out the other. It's so important to 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 remember that it's your body and you know what's going on more than, even though there are professionals, nurses and stuff, I think you just know your own that bit better. And when you were going up and down to Cork for treatment the, the second time, was... Because like, you know, social distancing and everything, when you're inside in the room getting treatment from the first diagnosis, you were kind of beside people and you were making friendships and stuff, were you more spread out this oh, time? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, The care, they were, the oncology units, they're a fabulous bunch of ladies there. I'm nearly an old veteran now at, at this stage, but they were so mindful of the patients to really? be extremely careful that, you know, they were spread out your time slots for getting your treatment and then with the radiation in Cork, they were magnificent as well. Um and like I actually escaped. I didn't get COVID until very recently this really? year. Really? Yeah. Was my first first experience of it. But, you know, it was just um it was phenomenal to be able to go through all that period and be as safe as I as I possibly was.
0: Do you are you an overthinker?
1: Oh, you're going to kill me now. Am I an overthinker?
0: Because I certainly am.
1: I'd lie to you if I said I don't overthink at times. I do. I'm yeah. human. You exactly. Um, are, do we think about the what ifs? Of course we do. You Definitely. Know? But the love of life outweighs the what ifs. Yeah. Look at everything you do um, for the community. You bring people's stories to life. Yeah. That's your your contribution to community. That's that's who you are in in journalism and bringing people's stories and, and voices to life. And for me, um, having had a cancer diagnosis and going through treatment, I bring that story to life, that it's it's a doable journey and asking the community to get behind people. And um, do I look and say um, let me please get to see my children grow up. Let me see them graduate from college. Of course I do. Yeah. I make umpteen bargains with the gods it's and natural. the divine every single day of the week. Um, but then I move on. Yeah. So I don't dwell on it. I don't fix on it. You get a fleeting thought that comes in and then it's gone again. And I'm on doing the next project or the next bit of mischief or whatever else I'm, I'm up to.
0: Yeah, and not it's, it's it's only natural to to get think those thoughts at times. Comfort for chemo, the organisation back in Tralee, they've I do see online on Facebook and stuff. They do they do a great job. How important have they been through the whole the whole experience? You know, for uh, a person going through cancer.
1: Well, I think the, the main thing with the charity is that it has created an awareness around the whole chemo journey, which has absolutely been fabulous. I suppose traditionally chemo was a sort of a shh subject. Yeah. You know, it was the traditional um, horrific journey. The movie is portrayed it as a bald head and getting sick. And yes, there are aspects of that. But I think the thing they highlighted the most is that medicine has adv- advanced so much. Also, the huge need for an oncology unit in Kerry because it doesn't have a home at the moment. Um, palliative care services in Kerry very kindly are housing the oncology unit at the moment, Really. eventually they're going to have to find a home. So the government, thankfully, have committed to building an oncology unit. But the Comfort for Chemo um, charity um, will look after all the other aspects of what's needed going through chemo, which is support for families, support for children, you know, nutrition, dietitian, all the other services, the support services, basically, that are needed around um, going through a chemo journey and that are specific, really, to like the, the oncology unit and, and the actual chemo journey itself.
0: And that's so important, like to have those. Yeah. Or to even have those.
1: simple things like in like um, in other countries, you can have somebody with you when you're going through chemo.
0: Really? Yeah. To in, come in with you, to come
1: in with you and spend the time with you in Kerry. That's not possible because, well, obviously with Covid, you couldn't. Yeah. But space wise, there isn't space.
0: I think it's part that would do you think that not that it would have made your journey easier, but you think you would have been more, I suppose, not secure, but you know, you had that comfort blanket beside you.
1: Oh, it would be it would be huge. Absolutely. When you're starting a a chemo journey out, because it's 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 very frightening. The first day you're allowed to have a relative with you because that's when your body reacts to all the chemicals. Yeah. And then after that, you're very much on your own journey. So it's some people might be chatty and might chat to the person next to them. And some people like to just encompass that whole chemicals going through your system and they're alone with themselves. You know they're alone with their own thoughts so you don't you'd never intrude yeah. you know in that space. So um it is lovely to have a relative. And sometimes I think, you know, it would be lovely to have somebody on a Friday to be able to bring in a coffee and sit and have the chat. Yeah while away, you know, an hour from a catch up time because with life and with work and everything else, sometimes you don't get to see friends as often as you'd like. So that's kind of an ideal opportunity that if you had a space where to have someone yeah, or even alternate the space, you know, Siobhan, this is Siobhan's kind of friend week. Yeah. So Siobhan can have a friend We're sitting, having coffee or whatever, or watch a movie together or just, you know, make it make it less clinical.
0: I think that'd be a brilliant idea. Um, shoving towards the Inody interview, I wanted to ask you, what was your biggest self discovery during the whole journey? What did you find out about yourself that you didn't know you had in you, the fight or that you didn't know you had before?
1: Um, that's, a, that's a really mighty question, Ian. Um, I suppose there was always there's always been the survivor in me. Um, My I'm half twin. That's a famous North Kerry expression. I had a twin and he passed away shortly after we were born. Really? So I always knew that there is there is a survivor in me, that that instinct is very strong. But I suppose in acknowledging that, we also have to acknowledge that um, I'm vulnerable. I need to ask for help, which is which was a huge discovery for me. Um, No man is an island. You can't you can't go it alone all the time,
0: because you like to be independent, like you said. Yeah,
1: I am. I'm very much, you know, out and about and, you know, doing lots of bits and pieces. And I suppose to be able to put up your hand and say, look, I'm human. I have my bad days, too. I have the days when I cry or I have the days when I feel lonely or I wonder about the wonder about the future. So I think that was a huge um, journey of self-discovery and the other things, things that matter to me before I started the journey, I have a completely different view of them now. Really? Like you don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. And I know probably thinking of going. Ah, sure. Look, everyone knows that. Why would it take a cancer journey, or why would it take a, a serious accident to make you think like that? But it does. It makes you reevaluate. It does, absolutely the importance of everything.
0: You kind of, you you don't, you don't appreciate the small things till they're, you know, till they're gone.
1: Uh, exactly. But I think the fact of being able to move on, you know, still help in the community, enjoy family life and, you know, enjoy the, the great community that I have and friends in Balibonian and still serve through St. Vincent de Paul and Kerry Mental Health Association. I think they're the things that make me get up every single day of the week. And plus my my 12 uh, year old twins, um, you know, they're absolutely fabulous, Dara and Ellie. And, you know, they, I think it's good for them to see too Absolutely the, the positive attitude and that any obstacles that you have that you can work through them or get help to do that
0: back yourself Siobhan thanks Bill for coming in and I really, really appreciate you coming in and you know sharing your story and I know it's going to help other people going through going through their their cancer journey to know that they're they're not alone and it's great to see the chemo body initiative you've done and and all the other stuff in the community, so I hope you you, you're, you, you keep safe, and if you ever need anything, you know where we are here.
1: Thanks Ian, an absolute pleasure. Thank you indeed.
0: Now unfortunately that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and I really appreciate you tuning in as always. A massive thanks to Siobhan for coming on today, and having such an honest and open interview. And like I said, I know it's going to help a good few people out there, that are going through their cancer battle, or just everybody that listened tonight, I know that you're all going to pick something up from tonight's interview. So a massive thanks to Siobhan for coming on, and, and for talking so open and honestly. If you have any questions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. I hope you're all having a great week. Stay tuned in because Brian Priestley is up next with that Chaz. I'll be back at the same time next week from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.